Wesleyan Church. Come on in, and we want to go ahead and get started, but uh, we are privileged today to have uh, Dr. Atef Kalaf, who is the uh, National General Superintendent of the Wesleyan Standard Church in Egypt here today. Uh, some of you who are students at the college may know his son, John. He's actually going to be translating for him here. And we're starting off the service with him sharing just briefly about uh, Welcome a Church in Egypt because he's going to be speaking in the Kaleidoscope Sunday School class during this hour. So we want to go ahead and get him over there. But we wanted to give him an opportunity here in the service, an opportunity for you to hear him uh, and just to uh, experience a little bit, uh, hear a little bit about what God is doing in the church in Egypt. صباح الخير. Good morning. وبشكر جناب الأسيس وكل المسؤولين إن يتوحيل الفرصة أن أتكلم عن الكنيسة في مصر. We are really thankful. Am I on? We are really thankful for. We are really thankful for the opportunity for us to share here today. 
والكنيسة المصرية لها تاريخ في الإيمان المسيحي. I want to tell you a little bit about the Western Church in Egypt. It has a very long history. فالمسيح نزل لمصر لما كان هارب من هرودس. So the, the history started when Jesus visited Egypt. فالكنيسة في مصر كنيسة منذ بداية المسيحية. And the church started right away after the crucifixion. والكنيسة تعرضت لضغوط كثيرة في مصر. And the church have been through centuries of difficult times. ولما دخل الإسلام لمصر. And when Islam came to Egypt. كان عدد سكان مصر 30 مليون. There was 30 million Egyptians in the in the country. وكان معظمهم مسيحيين. Most of them were Christians. لكن بعد ما الإسلام دخل مصر. وسيطر على البلد ابتدى يفرض ثلاث حاجات عن المسيحيين. But after a while of, of ruling of Islam, the Christians were giving three options. إما أن يدفعوا الجزية أو يدخلوا الإسلام. So either they pay very high taxes or they become Muslims. وإما أن يقتل ال. Or they will be facing this. فعدد من المسيحيين استشهد في الوقت ده كتير. So a lot of Christians that weren't able to pay the high rate of taxes, they they were killed. والكنيسة محافظة في علاقتها مع الرب. But the church kept it's kept itself strong and faithful until now. عدد المسيحيين في مصر حاليا. The number of Christians in Egypt at this moment. 15 مليون. Is approximately 15 million Egyptian. وعدد سكان مصر 95 مليون. And the total population of Egypt is 95 million. والكنيسة في مصر هي أكبر كنيسة في الشرق الأوسط. This number makes it the biggest church in the Middle East. والكنيسة تعرضت لضغوط أيام الثورة. So the last revolution in Egypt has been a very hard time on the church in Egypt. فالإخوان المسلمين حرجوا 200 كنيسة. The Muslim Brotherhood have been over 200 churches. But the church prayed a lot, so it responded wisely, and started to talk about love and not hate, talk about how we forgive and not how we are really sad about what you have done to us. So the church started to provide medical care for the people who need. At a very difficult time, at the revolution. كانت بتعالج المسيحيين والمسلمين. They opened their doors for anyone who needed medical help, not just Christians. والمسيحيين تمسكوا بالكنيسة في وسط ظروف الصعبة. And the church kept itself together, kept united more than any time before. بعد ما الكنيسة تحركت. After the burning of 200 churches. الناس تصورت المسيحيين هيقعدوا في البيت. People saw that Christians will be will have fear of going to church again because churches are under attack. But right away after the fire was down, people went to the church and started to worship and pray there. There was no benches or chairs to sit on, so they sat on the floor. There was no Bibles to read from, but the scripture were memorized. ما كانش فيه كتاب ترنيم لكن كانوا بيسبحوا لإلههم الحي. There was no PowerPoint or video projector left, so but they have the songs memorized. ولما الرب شال الإخوان من الحكم. And after years of praying, 
God came and uh, changed the things and the Muslim Brotherhood are not ruling anymore. And this is a big miracle that happened. Now the church have a, a very, very strong it's just because of the prayer. The new president, Sisi, he, he is one of our favorite uh, presidents so far. So he's the first Egyptian president that would go and visit the church at Christmas time to greet the church and, and say that he is proud of what the church has been doing and he is supporting the church. And last month he uh, came with a very courage decision that the military would build every single church that had been burned. And uh, all the evil came to the church on a blessing. So the very small tiny churches became very big churches. And the very old churches became very modern buildings. And he is the first president to give the churches a law that allows them to build new churches. So before to build the church, we had to go in a very difficult procedure. It was a very, like a secret situation. So we'll go to an apartment or a room in a, in a building. And we start praying. And things happen. The police will come and arrest some of us. And then they go back and keep arresting people over and over until they were like, okay, we can we can't do anything. It's a, they will keep going there any, anyway, so they leave us. The number of churches in Egypt, uh, 3,000 uh, Coptic church, and 1,200 uh, Protestant church. Uh, uh, 25 of them are Muslim. Uh, and we are uh, having, expressing an uh, experiencing a new miracle that just happened last month. So for the first time in the history of the Western Church, someone suggested that a crazy idea that we shall submit a request to the government to give us free land so we can build the church. So we said, well, we're not losing anything. It sounds impossible, but we're going to do it anyway. And we submitted the request. And last month, the uh, they respond with approval and they're going to give us a new land. In a, in a new big city very close to Cairo. Uh, the number of population of the city is estimated to be 3 million. And this is the only Protestant church over there. And it's not going to be like a room in a building like what we used to, but it's going to be a church. And it's going to have another building that will uh, have a Bible school in it. I pray that God would bless you and use you. And we are strong in Jesus Christ. Thank you.
Please stand and join us as we sing. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to her and shout your praises loud. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever of your love. Come down. I could not see chains of sin had shackled me, but God in heaven heard my plea. Jesus, Jesus, rescued me. Jesus, Jesus, rescued me. I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven, shout your praises out. I was lost in darkness when you pulled me out. I will sing forever.
Our scripture reading for this morning is from the book of James, chapter 5, verses 7 through 20. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death, and cover over a multitude of sins. This is the word of the Lord. starts today at five o'clock is the first time it's uh, the first prayer time and we want you to be a part of this as you could see just in a few of those images there's a lot of interactive things in the prayer room in fact when the service is done today if you just go right downstairs 
feel free to walk through, take a look at what's there. It might give you a sense of, of what it means to come and pray for an hour. Most, a lot of people are thinking, man, how do, in the world do I pray for an hour? I have a hard time, 10 minutes. And it's one of the things about the prayer room through the years that God has spoken to my heart about expanding my understanding of prayer. That it, it is, can be, sitting quietly, thinking, meditating, uh, listening, but it also is interacting. And so there are lots of things down there that help us as we pray. Uh, one of the things I mentioned last week, there's a backpack down there. You put stones in to carry around, and then at some point in time, take that off and just feel the burden lifted and freedom. And uh, there are many other things there in the prayer room to interactively do. There are whiteboards to write on. There's a big chalk wall and a magnetic wall with letters, so God loves you in the sign. It, it is just kind of wide open for however you want to express yourself in prayer. There's music there. Uh, bring your own, whatever the case may be. But I, I'm convinced that this is a, a powerful tool for us to encounter God and to draw closer to God. So we want to invite you to be a part of this for the next three weeks. You can sign up anytime. Uh, just go to the church website and you'll see a slider right in the beginning. It takes you right to the calendar. And, uh, or you can sign up this morning as you leave. There's a computer in the back there uh, or in the uh, CE building for you as well. But uh, just we want to encourage you and invite you to be a part of this gathering. It is really one of the ways in which we connect our prayers to, uh, to sort of build the chain of prayers from one person to the next person to the next person for the next three weeks as we begin. We're going to be gathering at 4.30 today here in the sanctuary, just as sort of a, about a half hour or so of preparing us together, uh, joining our hearts together, asking God to bless this time. would love to have you be a part of this gathering today as well. There's, a, there's an insert in your bulletin with two sides to it. Uh, one side's about Wednesday. We're having an Operation Christmas Child shoebox packing party. And love to invite you to be a part of that. Just anybody uh, come. Uh, I'm assuming that there will be food. Usually there is. So I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that. Uh, if not, you should bring some and then there will be food. Um, but uh, we want to invite you to be a part of this as we get together to pack boxes. Well, lots of people are doing their own boxes, but we also do some as a church. And we'd love to have you be a part of that. It's a chance to also just interact with folks. And the other side of that is we are hosting a lunch on November 13th. That is two weeks from today. Uh, specifically inviting college students to be a part of this lunch. A uh, number of community people coming together, providing all the food. And we just want to invite you to come stay after this service or the later ones. or we'll start about 11.30 and head over and just have lunch together. A chance to get a little better acquainted, make some better connections. And uh, hopefully out of that, some deeper relationships. So uh, we'd love to have you be a part of this uh, dinner, this lunch on the 13th. If you know or you think you might come, uh, send an email to Pastor Paul Shea and uh, Paul Shea at hwchurch.org and uh, get signed up. But you don't have to do that. Just come and uh, we'll be talking more about this next week as well. Let's um, take a moment and share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship. Stand as we do that.
in a culture in which, in a world in which what is typically accepted and desired and seen as right, it's not always easy to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, I, would, I agree with the, with the author who said, it's actually more demanding to be a follower of Jesus than not. It's a lot more challenging to, to respond to someone who hurts you with love than with vengeance or hatred. It's a lot more challenging to live your life thinking more about others than about yourself. It's a lot more challenging to, um, to live your life trusting God as opposed to grasping for control and managing your life on your own. Now, because it's more challenging doesn't mean it's better. Doesn't, I mean, I'm sorry, because it's more challenging doesn't mean that it's not better, but it is challenging. It, is a, it has always been a challenge. We are not unique. From the very beginning t- moment when God called his people, whether we're talking about Israel or the church, it has been demanding and challenging in this world to be a follower of God. It is just as true for us today as it was for James when he wrote this letter centuries ago. When James writes this letter, he's writing to the church that's scattered all over the world. They're facing persecution, opposition, difficulties. They're trying to live their lives counterculturally, like we are called to do and try to do. And he is concerned about them. What he's really asking as we get to this fifth chapter is he's saying, you, you know the Lord is coming. <clears throat> you know the Lord is returning. You know that he's going to reappear. He's promised it. The question for the church, and that includes them and us, is do we live as if we believe that's true? When life pushes in against us, when troubles and difficulties and pain and hardship and opposition and just life in general pushes against us, do we live in such a way that people believe, we believe, Jesus is coming back? That God says, does what he says he's going to do that God's promises are true and that God is trustworthy. And James, as he's been talking throughout this letter, describes that in a variety of ways. But as you get to this fifth chapter, he says one of the ways in which we communicate to other people and to each other, that we believe God is going to do what he says, is what we do with our words. How we use our words. He talks with them in the earlier part of this chapter about the fact that often our natural tendency, our our temptation, our struggle, is that we use our words negatively. And so he warns them about grumbling, complaining, accusing each other, divisive words. But he also warns them about swearing, taking oaths, which seems kind of odd in this setting. But I think what he's trying to say is... If you live your life in such a way that people don't believe you when you say you're going to do something or you say that this is, this is who you are, if you, have to, if you have to take that to a level of, I swear this is the truth, or I swear on my mother's grave, or across my heart and hope to die, you know, as you say as little kids, if you have to do that in order for people to really believe you, then something is wrong with your life. 
People ought to be able to say, if they say yes, they mean yes. If they say no, they mean no. If, they, if, they, if this is what they say they believe, then that's what we can count on. Now, granted, not all of us are imperfect and we all make mistakes, but people can see through that. And it's what we do with our words that reflects our heart. But he doesn't just talk about what is negative. He talks about what's positive. And he says, if you really believe that God is who he says he is and that he's going to do what he says he's going to do, as he talks in this passage about judgment and and condemnation, as well as the the, uh, blessing of bringing people back to Christ, if we believe that Jesus is going to reappear, then we ought to have positive words. And in this passage, he says there's really one primary focal point for our positive words, and that is we pray. We pray. He says, beginning in verse 13, if if you have trouble, pray about it. If you're happy and rejoicing, then give thanks to God in your prayers. If somebody's sick, get the church together and pray for them. Confess your sins to each other, which is another form of praying. What we're really saying when we are talking about praying for each other and what we're talking about when we have these difficulties and we come to God in prayer, we're really saying, God, I can't do this without you. My life is not going to be what I want it to be and certainly what you want it to be without you. And the problems and the difficulties, the struggles of life, the struggles of trying to be a follower of Jesus in the countercultural world will not happen unless, God, you are at the center of who I am and who we are. And that comes through prayer. N.T. Wright talks about how in the Old Testament temple, it was really the the coming together, the overlap of heaven and earth. And as you come to the New Testament, you find that, that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of that, of heaven come to earth. And he teaches us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What we're really saying, we want all of the priorities of heaven to come onto earth. And then when you get into further in the New Testament, Paul says, and Jesus himself says this as well, but Paul says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the church, and he's saying, now you are the place where heaven and earth overlaps. You are the place where, where people see what the kingdom of God is about. And one of the most significant ways we do that is by praying. Because in praying, we are saying, God, it's all about you. And in our prayers, God will prompt us to work. God will prompt us to do things. And God will, we will often be the, the agents of, uh, he uses to answer our own prayers and the prayers of others. But the central point, the focal point, is that when we pray, whether it's prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of confession, a prayer of adoration, a prayer of intercession for each other, whatever it is, when we pray, we are saying, God, you are it, period. And I'm turning to you. And that's really the call of the church. The call of the church is to be a place where we pray together. We pray for each other. That's why we're doing this prayer vigil. You know, that, that's why we keep doing this every year. That's why we've made this a rhythm, part of the rhythm of who we are as a church. Because we believe we need to pray all the time. But sometimes you set aside some specific time to pray more intensely. To pray longer. To engage ourselves in, in, in deeper things of prayer, whatever that may be and however that may look for each one of us. And as a church, we feel like it's our responsibility to help us pray more. 
and to engage ourselves in prayer. And that's why we keep doing this. I do find it interesting that he says when somebody is sick, get the church together and pray for them. He talks about anointing with oil. There's nothing magic about anointing with oil, but it is often the the identification, the symbol of the Holy Spirit being present. I think the reason he wants us to come together to pray and to pray for each other is because sometimes we need, often, we need the the prayers of other people. We're stuck. Our faith is weak. We're struggling. We're in the middle of it. And when you're in the middle of it, it's hard to see it. It's hard to see God in it. And we need each other to do that. I love the story in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus is teaching in a house. And uh, these four guys have a friend who's paralyzed and they bring him to Jesus. And uh, they get to the house and the place is just totally packed and they can't get in. Most of us would say, well, I guess guess it's not going to happen. Or maybe we catch him tomorrow. But they're, they're insistent. And so they climb up the steps to this flat roof and they start taking apart the roof. I would love to have been there, you know, seated there. And you're like, what's going on? You know, stuff falling on you. And you look at it and you go, have we always had a skylight? I don't remember always having a skylight. And then all of a sudden, here comes this guy on his way down and he's lowered down to Jesus. And what does Mark tell us? He says, when Jesus saw not his faith, but their faith. He responded. There's something significant about that. Because sometimes in our struggles, we just don't have enough faith. And we need each other. I've been, I've been, um, every year I'm always a little bit concerned about how many people will engage in the prayer vigil. And God has blessed us. This year, the reservations are going a little bit slower than normal. And I'm just giving that to God, trying to. But, you know, I'm feeling a little bit discouraged about that. And yesterday morning, uh, we met with some of the leaders of Mercy Seat, the the worship and prayer minister on campus. They came down to pray for us. We went in the prayer room. And by the time we got done praying for an hour, I was so encouraged. And and they, they helped me so much to increase my faith and just keep giving the whole thing to God. Whatever happens. And it struck me how important it is for us to pray with and for each other. And that's what we're going to do this morning. It's a little bit different this morning because we're going to spend the next 10 minutes or so, whatever we need, praying together, praying for each other. Some of the elders and some of the pastoral staff are going to be up here in the front. And uh, we have anointing oil. If you would like for us to anoint you, just let us know. And we want to invite you to come to let us pray for you. Give us the privilege of praying for you as community. It might be something, it might be a physical need you have, it might be other needs you have. I know in the earlier service with lots of prayers about family situations. There's people wanting to be what God wants them to be in their family. And and it may be you may want to come for somebody else. Maybe there's somebody who's not here, but you know they have a need and you want to come in their place. Whatever the case may be, You share as little or as much about the need as you want to share. But we want to pray for you. We want the privilege of praying for you. To be the church this morning as a community of faith together. So I'm going to invite the the elders who are here to come. The pastors to come. And I'm just going to invite you. 
And if you'd like for us to pray for you, just come kneel at the altar rail. You can stand if feeling's difficult, sit in one of the red chairs and give us the privilege of praying for you as the church. While we're doing that, there's scriptures and images on the screen. Let me encourage you to meditate on those and to think about those and to just open your heart to Christ. So if you'd like for us to pray for you, come now.
Thank you for being at work in each one of our lives. Thank you for the times when we see that so clearly. And thank you for the times when we don't. Because it builds faith and it builds trust in you to believe that you're at work when we see it and when we don't. Pray for all of the needs that we, uh, we've prayed about here this morning, for the needs that of people who maybe haven't come forward but have sensed you at work in them. We pray for your grace at work in every life. We pray for the needs that we represent, the grief and the pain that we feel, the, the struggles of, of human living, relationships that are, are broken, uh, just the desire to follow you. We thank you for being present in every situation. Thank you for this church and for the ministry of the church that we, we join together. And uh, we thank you for all the ways you're at work. Today we pray for our junior and senior high Sunday school classes. They're meeting right now. We pray your anointing on them, every teacher, every leader and helper and student. And may the faith be nurtured in every heart. We pray for churches around us. We think of the Freedom Baptist Church and Pastor Downer. Pour out your blessing on this congregation as they serve you in the place where you called them. We pray for the country. So much divides us, and we pray that you will bring unity through Christ. We pray that you would help us as the church to be a witness of grace and, and of uh, love and compassion and relationship in the midst of all the things that may divide us, whether that would be class issues or race issues or political issues. We pray that the church would reflect you. We pray, Father, for the world, and we think of refugees and ask that you would help them. And we pray that you would bring answers to their prayers and the needs they have. We pray for uh, the people of Nepal and particularly the, the ministry of the Wesleyan Church there. We pray that you would continue to bring more and more fruit in the church. We pray for the church in Egypt. We thank you for Dr. Kalaf, who's spoken to us this morning. And we ask that your grace would be upon him as a leader and upon the church. In this very difficult circumstance, we're seeing you do miracles, and we thank you for that. Continue to pour your blessing on them. Thank you for hearing our prayers today, Father. We offer them all through the name, through the grace, through the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, our returning King. Amen. Amen. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God from all that he has given to each of us. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a God dependent on any mortal man. You are not a God in need of anything we can give by your plan. That's just the way it is. You are not a God created by human hands. You are not a Just the way it is. You are God, Lord, from before time began. 
the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.